message is titled Stuck, and it's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to need some crowd participation tonight, all right? Crowd participation. That means you are going to get to be involved, and here's how that's going to look. Tonight, I'm going to be very honest. That's what I'm going to do, all right? I'm just going to be open. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be real, and I want you to do this tonight. Your job is to be honest. That's all I'm asking. Just be honest tonight with yourself with God, maybe with us tonight, because we're going to need that. I want to ask a quick question before we get started. I said tonight's going to be a little bit different. How many have ever watched The Chosen or seen The Chosen? Any fans of The Chosen in here? What an incredible show. It's, it's my family and I's uh, favorite show. We love our, our time to watch The Chosen. In just a few minutes, we're actually going to watch a clip from The Chosen. The producer of, of The Chosen series is actually a client of mine in my business, and, and so I said, hey, can I uh, show a clip of this, and he said, absolutely, because it's free after all, so if you don't know what The Chosen is, make sure and find that online, just search The Chosen, look for the app, and you can stream it, but we'll get a chance to uh, look at that. We're going to watch tonight probably my favorite scene from the series so far, probably my favorite scene uh, for sure from The Chosen, not just because it's a great scene from a great series, but probably because it's really a scene from my life. Today is day 1,125 days since my last drink. Three years, four weeks, and one day. Some of you are like, wait a minute, they let a guy who was drinking three years ago on the stage? Listen, I love this house of miracles. I love this house of forgiveness. I love this house of hope and second chances. But the truth is, my journey to this place was not an easy one. A lot of you know much of my story. You know what? led me up to that place, that, that battle with addiction. I've shared that after 20 years in full-time ministry, my pride and my self-reliance really led me to a place to allow an old enemy back into my life. I've also shared how I found freedom from that addiction and how Freedom Church was a big part of that. Tonight, however, I want to get very real with you, and I want to share where I was in the midst of my battle. I want to share where I was when it wasn't easy. Why is that? Because the truth is, I know tonight some of you are in a battle. And I know tonight some of you are losing that battle. I know that 1,125 days ago, I was stuck. I was dying. So I'm asking you tonight, be honest right here. Here's where honesty begins. Are you stuck? Are you stuck tonight? Is there a place in your life where you're stuck? Maybe you're stuck in addiction. Maybe even one like me that no one else knows about. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's drugs, pornography, food, nicotine, Pinterest. Any Pinterest addicts in here? Maybe you're stuck in a place of shame, guilt, anger, frustration, fear, worry, doubt, self-hatred, depression, maybe even grief. You're just going through something you cannot get past and you're stuck. Maybe you're stuck in a cycle of temptation and failures, perhaps lust, um, perhaps lies, perhaps pornography. I know I've already said that once, but somebody needs to hear it tonight. Maybe you're stuck in a place of inappropriate relationships, sexual morality, sex outside of marriage sexual identity struggles, and you feel stuck. Maybe you're here and you just say, you know what? I'm just stuck spiritually. I feel like I'm just stuck in my faith with Christ. I feel like I'm not growing in Christ. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in your finances. Maybe you feel like you're, you're stuck in your marriage. 
the truth is, you're not stuck in your marriage. If we're being honest tonight, both of you are probably stuck in one of the other things I mentioned. And it's a resulting in a marriage that isn't where it needs to be. Why are we stuck in the struggle? That's why I would ask this. Why did I go through what I did? And, and, and why would, would, would God allow that? And then certainly, why would he give me another shot at it? Why would he trust me with this opportunity? It's because when what I went through happened, he told me that the purpose in it was to be transparent and honest and stop pretending and stop playing games and stop acting like the guy on the stage is better than anybody else and, and the person next to us is better than him. Stop pretending we aren't struggling. That's what he told me. Let's be honest and let's, really, and let's stop pretending it's easy. Coming out of my situation, God put a burden on my heart to begin a ministry that just took off online and it's called Faith Uncensored and it's literally titled that because I want to share with people that faith sometimes is ugly. Faith sometimes is hard. Faith sometimes is difficult. I know on Sunday mornings we come and we paint the picture of beautiful, perfect faith, of perfect Christianity and we do everything we're supposed to be doing and maybe we are, but the fact is Monday hits us in the face, in the face and it's not so easy. We put on the pretend and, and then we come back to church a week later and pretend like everything was great that week when it's not. You see, God tells us to cast our burdens on one another. Why did he say that? Because he knew you would have burdens. He didn't say do it the first time you come to church and after that you're good. He didn't say after you came to an altar and accepted Christ, all your burdens would go away. Once you signed a card or put your name on a wall, you wouldn't have any burdens anymore. No, he said continually, cast your cares on one another, on one another. care for one another, help one another. Why? Because we're all in the struggle. Why is that? Why are we stuck? Why are we in a struggle? Why do some of you feel hopeless tonight if you're being honest? Why are some of you tired tonight if you're being honest? Why are some of you about to give up if you're being honest? Because Ephesians 6.12 says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. So that's why I'm having a bad day. Because I'm battling evil and darkness and rulers and spiritual forces. It's because all of hell is against me. That's why we're stuck. That's why we're having a bad day. That's why we can't move past it. Because we have a very real enemy who's out to steal, kill, and destroy us. Hell keeps us in the struggle. That's what it is. It keeps us in the fight. It keeps us from moving forward. It keeps us from growing in Christ. I want to give you four quick things tonight to keep us in the struggle. If we're talking about hell. Number one is our habits. Our habits keep us stuck. How do, you, how, do you, how do you make a habit? It's easy. You do something by repetition. Before long, it becomes easy. Next thing you know, it's pleasurable. Before, before that, you're doing it often, and now you have yourself a habit. And sometimes it is our habits that keep us struggling. The habits in our marriage, the habits in our finances, the habits in our health, the habits in our walk with Christ. Second thing is our excuses. You know, excuses are like rear ends. Everybody's got one and they stink. All of them. 
They're like nipples on men. They're just useless. That's what an excuse is, if we're being honest. I said it's going to be honest tonight, right? What an excuse really is, it's how you and I say that we're going to face the same thing again. An excuse is a guarantee that we're not done with this, that we're going to struggle with it. The third thing is the lies. The lies that we tell ourselves. Already tonight, I've asked you to be honest, and some of you said, nothing wrong with me, man. Maybe the guy next to me, maybe my husband's a lot wrong with him. The lies we tell ourselves, the lies we tell others, the lies we tell God, the lies we believe about ourselves, the lies others say about, lies keep us stuck. They keep us in the struggle. They keep us in bondage. And lastly is the limits. The limits that we place on ourselves, the limits that we place on God, the, the, the lack of faith, the lack of unbelief, the, the, the fact that we think we could never do it, the fact that we think God will never use us, that God doesn't want us, that there's no hope, that I'm stuck and I'll never get out of this, that's a limit. And that is the hell that keeps us in this struggle. That is the hell that keeps us in the battle. Tonight I want to read you a story, a powerful story in Scripture from the Book of John, chapter number five. And it's a familiar story for a lot of us, but if not, let me give you a little background. There was a place at the time of Jesus Christ where it's called the Pool of Bethesda, and we'll read it in just a moment, where tradition said, I'm going to be honest, I've, I've, if we're being honest tonight, I have preached this message wrongly. Tradition said that at this place, this pool, the sick would gather, and if the water would move, the, the, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir the water, and the first one in would get healed. Now, the more that I look at that scripture and study it out, what I find is nobody ever got healed. They were all just stuck believing a lie in the tradition, placing false hope in something that wasn't going to happen. But anyway, John chapter 5 tells us the story of what happened at this pool one day. Verse number 2 says this. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate, a pool which is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered porches. And here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, one who had been there and had been an invalid for 38 years. He could not move, is what Scripture tells us, could not walk. He had been there for 38 years. And so this place was a, a, a place where people would put their hope in and, and, and the lame would come and the sick would come and they would hope that if the water would stir, they would get in and, and maybe receive their healing. And one guy had been there, the Bible tells us, he had been sick and invalid for 38 years. 38 years he'd been waiting to get in that water. 38 years he'd been trying. Man, you want to talk about Stuck. How many have been holding on to something for 38 years? Some of you have. I don't know, though, man. 38 years getting in the water, I'd have found a way. That's what I'm saying, right? I'm going to find a way to get in the water. Verse number six says this. When Jesus comes to this place and he sees him lying there and he learned that he'd been in this condition for such a long time, he asked him, sir, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Here's a guy who had made a habit of laying in the same place, doing the same thing, expecting the same results, 
not getting any. You want to talk about some bad habits. For 38 years, he had some habits. I don't know about you, but I'd have got up next to the edge of that pool <laughs> and rolled my invalid self off in it if I thought there was something going to happen. I, don't, I just don't understand it. 38 years. Some of us have had some habits for that long, so we can't be too mad at the guy. And Jesus says, why haven't, you, why haven't you made it? You know, And the guy says, because when I try, somebody else comes along and gets ahead of me. Somebody takes my shot. When I'm working to go down and somebody else pushes me out. You know what that is? An excuse. Half the time we're in our struggle because we're, we're, we're making excuses, which most of the time we say are somebody else's fault. And our excuses keep us in the struggle. Jesus said to him in verse number seven, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. Someone gets ahead of me. In verse eight, Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And verse number nine says this, And at once the man was cured, and he picked up his mat, and he walked. Here's a guy who had been doing this for 38 years, no results, no change, nothing happened. His habits, his excuses, the lies he believed, nobody, you're never going to make it. You're never going to get better. You're always going to be an invalid. You're never going to get there. He began to believe those lies, and then they become limits that he placed on himself. I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to get any better. I'm never going to get in the water. And then comes along this man named Jesus. And how many know Jesus changes everything? He changes everything. Without him, I'm just an invalid, relying on my habits and my excuses and my lies and my limit and myself and my own personal hell, stuck in the struggle. Without him, we're just stuck. We're all stuck without Christ, but he changes everything. This guy had some habits. He had some excuses. He was full of them. But 1,125 days ago, so was I. I was stuck. I'm an addict. My drug of choice is alcohol. Let's talk about choice for just a moment. You see, addiction is a choice in the sense that I chose to drink for the first time. It's a choice in the sense that, that I went back and chose to drink a few years ago while I was pastoring a church. It's certainly a choice in that since. But the part I had no choice in is my body's response to alcohol. Part of my ministry now, part of what God wanted me to do with, with, with sharing what happened to me was to bring light to some people who need to understand those who are stuck. And I got lights. I got, I got firsthand experience. You want to know what bondage is? I can tell you about it. You want to know how to get out of it? I can tell you about it. You want to, you want, you want to know how, long, how, how to be stuck in it? I can tell you about it tonight. But sometimes if we haven't been in those situations, we don't have much sympathy, right? Just stop drinking. We wish our loved ones who are drug addicts would just stop doing that. And, and I listen, I'm not looking for any sympathy tonight. I'm not looking for any, any, any excuses tonight. But I'm also not looking for any judgment tonight. Because while I did choose to drink, I had no choice in how my body would respond to that. Those of you who are addicts in the room know exactly what I'm talking about. My body responded differently to stimulants. The truth is, all of our bodies respond differently to stimulants. For those of you who are medical professionals know that anesthesiologists deal with this all the time. Some people come out of it quicker, some people don't. 
our bodies respond differently to different things. And as an addict, my endorphins in my brain began to kick off in such a way when I drink that I'm telling you the truth. And I, the first drink I ever took at 19 years old, the first time I got that buzz, the first time I felt the effects of alcohol, something happened inside of me that I did not choose. You say, what happened? In my, mo in my mind in that moment, I realized my purpose in life was to drink, that I had found my reason for existence, that everything I needed to do from this point on would revolve around making sure I could do this. Now, some of you think that's crazy. That's because you're not an addict. Be thankful tonight. Some of us will never understand what people with mental disorders go through. Some of us never understand why people who struggle with depression and, 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 and overwhelming fears go through. You know what I say about that? Be thankful you don't understand. Be thankful you don't have to experience that. Be thankful that your coping mechanisms are different. Be thankful that you're equipped differently. Be thankful that you're not naturally inclined to that. And not be judgmental. Understand that people a lot of times did not make a choice to remain in that situation. Alcoholism is threefold. It's spirit, body, and mind. It's described in the big book of AA as a spiritual malady, which means an absence of something spiritual. A spiritual malady coupled with a physical allergy and a mental obsession. It's not just like I was drinking on the weekends. Something was happening to my mind, my body, and my spirit when I drank. And it was a mental obsession. And for a guy like me with OCD, that made it even worse. Because if I didn't end the night drinking right, that guaranteed I had to do it tomorrow. You know why? Because I, I have a disease that is part of the mental health struggles we, we have as humans. Another thing AA tells us is that disease is both cunning, baffling, and powerful. It is so much more than just a drink. It is what we read earlier, a spiritual battle in the heavenly realms against darkness and rulers and principalities. It was not Budweiser for me. It was not Jack and Coke for me. It was a struggle against rulers and authorities and principalities. And guess what? It was hell. That's what it was. And it was a battle I could not win. I was stuck. I used to make deals with myself. I, I quit drinking hundreds of times. I want you to understand that. As a pastor who had to get up and preach on Sunday mornings, I quit drinking every Friday night. I, I knew I had to preach on Sunday. I, I, I got to quit. I got to quit. I made deals with myself, and I would literally say, all right, if tonight's not the last night you drink, if you do it again, you're going to tell your wife, and you're going to get help. And guess what I would do? Because I was stuck. I would do it again. How do you reach out for help when you're so stuck that you don't really want it? That you don't really want to change because that means you can't drink anymore. I'm just going to be honest with you. 
In my perfect world, I could do everything I wanted and drink because I was stuck in that. I was stuck living a lie in front of my kids. I was stuck living a lie in front of my church. I was stuck living a lie in front of me. I was miserable. That's what I was. I was dying. And the only thing that could change me was a spiritual awakening. For me, it came in the form of a DWI arrest. You know that song we just sang about the goodness of God running after me? How many of you know sometimes what happens we don't recognize as goodness? Three and a half years ago, I did not think red and blue lights behind me. I did not think $20,000 down the drain. I did not think embarrassment and shame and, and handcuffs. I do not look good in orange, y'all. I'm telling y'all. I did not think a machine on my car. I did not think that was the goodness of God. I'm going to be honest with you. I thought that was the result of my sinful choices. And yes, it was. But here's what I've come to tell you tonight. God loves you enough not to leave you where you're at, not to let you go, not to let you die, not to let you drown, not to leave you stuck. Listen, if God wanted us stuck, there would be no cross. There would be no Jesus. God loves us enough that his goodness runs after us, that he pursues us, that he's been good to us even when we weren't good to him. God has been good to us continually. And three and a half years later, I can look back and see that it was the goodness of God that brought me to that point because I couldn't make it on my own. I was a pastor preaching every Sunday morning and I couldn't quit drinking. Anything else I wanted to do, I could do. Anything else I wanted to do, I could do. I can learn things, I can teach things, I can do things, I can start things. My wife says you don't finish everything, but I finish most things. The hardest part for me was that here I am, a pastor, and I can't stop. Why is that? Because I can't do it. That's why. Sometimes we're stuck because we're still trying to get out ourselves. We're still relying on us. We need a spiritual awakening, a spiritual experience with God. The only thing that could change that for me was, was an intervention. And even when it happened, I'm going to tell you tonight, the hold alcohol had on me is, was so strong that all I wanted to do for the next few weeks was drink. The worst thing in my life, the worst part of my life, telling my kids that I'd failed, seeing the, the, the hurt in my wife's face, and all I wanted to do was drink because I was stuck. 30 days later, I hadn't, been, I hadn't, hadn't drank anything. I was sober. I haven't drank since that night. 30 days later... I still wanted to drink. Why is that? Because it had a hold on me and it was not letting go. I had to get some dry time. That's what happened. I had to get some dry time. I had to get some, 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 some time away from alcohol so that I could begin to choose to live differently. I had to get out of the hell I was in so I could see the heaven God had for me and so that I could choose that. Listen, if you know somebody who's in the middle of addiction, do not expect them to stop overnight. Do not hound them about stopping. Do not call them weak because they haven't stopped. Because here's the honest to God truth. Most addicts are the strongest people there are. Otherwise, they'd have off themselves years ago. The misery and the pain that people in mental 
anguish or living with, people who are suicidal and people who are depression, we always think that's a sign of weakness. The truth is, if they were weak, that it took the easy way out a long time ago, but they're fighting battles most of us couldn't fight. But they can't do it alone and they can't do it overnight. And it takes Christ. Thank you.